1: All right, and welcome back to the Sports Media Watch podcast. This is John Lewis, as always, with Drew Lerner. Uh, Today we have a special guest, and we'll have a lot of interesting discussion about uh, some uh, things you might have seen happen in the industry the last couple of years. Uh, It's Danny Corrales, formerly of ESPN, producer of The Jump, so we'll be talking a lot about that, and uh, also uh, just some general topics about podcasting and streaming as well. So a good conversation ahead. But as usual, we will start with our normal ratings conversation. Before I get into that, just a reminder, you can uh, subscribe to the Sports Media Watch podcast feed through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and pretty much every place you can get podcasts. No worries there. Uh, So let's jump right in. The final round of the Masters, most watched in five years but there's a pretty big caveat with that and that is it was on easter sunday i don't have the out of home comparison yet but i can tell you just by looking at the numbers it is obvious that being on easter had a significant out of home impact because the ratings were down six percent and the viewership was up 19 percent. that's not normal Uh, easter sunday is clearly a great ratings day in the out of home era the irony, of course, being that it used to be a terrible ratings day, the kind of day you'd get a little asterisk on the historical chart because it was on Easter with the Masters. And now you'll get an asterisk in the other direction. The numbers are so good on that day. Uh, obviously, a big day of of communal viewing. So, uh, ultimately, if you're CBS, caveat doesn't matter. The number is what it is, and it's a five-year high. You're going to trumpet that, especially after some lean years. Uh do I think Live versus PGA had any impact? Not really. Um you know, not as much as Easter. Uh, and I, I think uh, ultimately, a lot has been said about this live tour stuff. Eh, enough is enough already. Um, certainly, those uh, golfers, if not, their 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 play has not been affected by being on Live. You want to call it an exhibition tour. It probably is. I mean, I know I've never watched a live event and probably never will but it certainly has not kept those guys from being able to contend Phil Mickelson finishing an incredible second. And maybe that story was underplayed because uh, of phil's association with live but a 53 year old man been second at the masters i mean that's pretty amazing uh kepka choked but i think he could have choked regardless of being on the live tour so it's really not that big of a deal uh and i think maybe this is a good opportunity for us to stop talking so much about the pga versus live as well uh but a great finish for the masters terrible weekend of weather awful weather all weekend the tree falling at 17 was was very dramatic pretty big uh a scare there because that could have gone pretty badly for a lot of people uh, 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 had that uh, gone in a different direction. Uh, ultimately, finishing the Masters in a sunny Sunday normal time slot after all that, pretty miraculous. Uh, not as miraculous as that tree not hitting anybody, but pretty miraculous nonetheless. And I think everyone will take it. Uh, so uh, pretty good finish for the Masters, and we move on to uh, the rest of the PGA Tour season. And uh, we also move on to the NBA playoffs, which begin this week as well. Play-in tournament is coming starting later tonight. This is Tuesday that we're recording. Viewership for the NBA season was down. I'm going to have a pretty significant deep dive into the numbers coming up. Uh, so keep an eye out on the site for that. And I will go ahead and bring you in, Drew, as we discuss some of the events of the recent days. Yeah, John.
2: Thanks for having me once again. Um obviously a big weekend for golf masters most viewed major of, of all four tournaments uh, unfortunate that it was weather delayed but that was kind of what we expected coming in the thing that stands out to me as as a golf fan is we are sitting here in the year 2023 and two of the biggest stories on the back end of the masters are tiger woods and phil mickelson obviously tiger had to withdraw due due in parts of the weather but also just you know his body cannot handle you know these types of conditions anymore um i think that's a huge story for for the game of golf whether or not he's going to be able to even compete very far into the near future really um how many more tournaments does he have left and of course um there's been a lot of talk about the phil mickelson coverage on sunday uh he goes and shoots a 65 one of Four 65s that we saw in the tournament, three of those coming on Thursday with Brooks Kepka, um, Victor Hovland, and um who is also tied for the lead? I'm they are slipping my mind right now, but that was the day that had the calmest conditions. And then he comes on Sunday after, you know, a marathon of a third round. And and shoots a 65 as a 53-year-old. I mean, that's pretty incredible. And it really was not picked up by CBS until he was on, you know, the whole 12, 13, right? They, they weren't giving him very much coverage. And, you know, as the day went on and his name stayed at the top of the leaderboard, second, tied for second, I thought it continued to look worse for CBS how they did not show many of his shots. Um, the, the one thing I will say to you about, about Liv john is and this is probably not a novel idea but i think live and if you look at the golf ratings of this season Liv has kind of raised the profile of golf as a sport It it is more in the general interest at this point um it's it's been put in the spotlight and although it doesn't it's not really borne out in lives viewership numbers the pga tour has had great numbers this season Um, we get another great number for the masters of course it comes with a million caveats like the easter day caveat but even still you know people are talking about golf more than they ever have and uh, i i think that's really notable for the sport because i think five years ago people would have seen golf as a sport on the decline and and i don't think that's the case anymore
1: that's a very interesting point you bring up about live being the rising tide i mean it is not actually much of a draw, but just a discussion about it bringing more attention to the PGA. It's been a solid start to the year. Not not solid, it's been a strong start to the year for the PGA with some pretty significant gains throughout. Um, obviously, Masters ratings, I mean, that 5.5 household rating is one of the lowest ever for the event. So we don't want to go too far in, in, in terms of, you know, that's, that's Easter Sunday. That's like last year with the NBA playoffs, most watched opening round, opening weekend game in 20 years. Yeah, that was Easter. Uh, But still, I mean, you know, you take what you can get in this era. And so I think for the Masters, it's uh, uh, great numbers. And for golf, there does seem to be some increased interest in a lot of things this year, golf, women's basketball. You know uh not everyone is feeling that like i said nba uh, viewership down slightly this season uh, uh let's see uh, what was the other one nascar every single week nascar is down so uh it's not everyone but there's been it's been a pretty good start to the year for 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 a, a number of events so uh, another interesting uh, note from the weekend xfl had another abc game another game over a million viewers as a result but the really interesting thing for the xfl was Saturday's game on ESPN had 868,000 viewers. I actually was watching some of this game. First time I've sat down to watch any XFL. Uh, incredible environment in St. Louis, and uh, you know, you cut from that environment in St. Louis to the three-quarters empty stadium in Orlando. It's clear atmosphere matters, uh, and that that was a real game. Uh, that atmosphere in St. Louis, where clearly they. Uh, want professional football because uh you're not getting that in other places so eight hundred viewers that is the highest for a game on cable probably since week one i'll have to check uh, for sure but that is is a tremendously high number given what we've seen from the xfl on cable lately uh that was a great weekend for the xfl uh so that's notable nba finished out the regular season 1.66 million for jazz lakers uh, should note, with both the XFL on Sunday and the NBA game on Sunday, that'll also benefit from Easter Sunday as well, so probably worth noting there. But uh, $1.66 million for the season finale, Jazz Lakers, not a bad number at all, uh, especially for a Saturday or Sunday afternoon game on on cable. Uh, And uh, the NHL 1.4 million for Devils Bruins Saturday night on ABC that is the second largest audience of the whole season behind only the winter classics so some good numbers all weekend and NASCAR had 3.45 million for Bristol in the dirt. That actually doesn't seem like that great of a number to me, I will have to take a look at the uh, my excel spreadsheets here, let me see what do I have for Bristol last year uh, in the dirt. Last year was over four million. So even on a big viewing day like Easter, obviously last year was on Easter too, but not a lot of competition, no NBA games on opposite. Last year on Easter, you had the NBA playoffs on opposite, and NASCAR was still down. It's just a bad year for NASCAR so far. It's just, uh, you know, just like it used to be. NASCAR is kind of back on that downward trajectory, at least for now. We'll see how that goes. That pretty much sums up the ratings talk, and we will go ahead and jump into our interview this week because it is a bit of a long one with Danny Corrales uh, and a lot of interesting discussion about, uh, certainly about his time at ESPN. All right, so our guest this week is Danny Corrales, the head of podcast production at The Ringer and uh, someone you might be familiar with, producer Danny from The Jump, uh, the ESPN show that uh, is no longer on the air, and uh, also uh, spent some time at FUBO TV. So we're going to have an interesting conversation today about uh, podcasting, streaming, and uh, maybe even a little bit about that uh, ridiculous insanity that happened at ESPN a couple of years ago with The Jump. So uh, Danny, th- thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. I know it's uh, early West Coast time uh, for you, so uh, eight a.m wake up call appreciate you making making the call today
3: no it's my pleasure and, and honestly my my wake up calls are 4 a.m on the west coast because uh, uh in addition to a wonderful opportunity with the ringer that i i was approached with uh, earlier this year um i was producing run it back for Fanduel tv um since last fall um i, I joined right after the show kind of got like launched um, so I spend my early mornings uh, going into f- uh, FanDuel TV to produce Running Back with my old friend Michelle Beadle and the, and the gang there. And then uh, we just wrapped now and um, I get ready for the ringer portion of my day uh, after this.
1: All right. And of course, Beadle, that's another bad ending at ESPN. So you, you, have you, you're me, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But why don't we go ahead and get started with your current role at The Ringer. So head of podcast production. And obviously, I'm doing a podcast right now. Everybody has a podcast. Uh, What are your thoughts about uh, this medium? And what can be done to make it different? It feels almost as if the podcast medium has gotten, in my view anyway, a little bit stagnant. Now that everybody has one, it's all very much the same kind of thing. What can be done to revitalize this medium if it needs to be revitalized?
3: It's a great question. And obviously, you know, with the volume of podcasts out there in every space, whether it's, you know, sports or entertainment or whatever, cooking, you know, um, I think part of the, the idea is that like traditional media, right, news and information shows have become like less, I guess important in our day-to-day life and and but we still kind of want that we still want information we still want to hear about topics that we enjoy we want to geek out on on succession i've listened like four different succession podcasts (laughs) shout out to prestige tv um but you know it's like i think that as we look for content as like people who are interested in whether it's sports or news um i think the traditional routes have become like less like interesting in some respects, right? Like I, you know, I it's funny because every anytime I think about like how do we f- fix podcasts, I go back to like, well, how do we fix news shows? How do we fix sports centers? Like like, you know what I mean? Like how so it's interesting because I what I'm seeing is a kind of like a, like everybody's kind of meeting like circling around, right? Like your your best podcasts are turning into linear shows and some of your best linear shows are creating podcast shoulder programming so the interesting thing to me is kind of like how do you even define a podcast right now right is it just is it audio only is it a video podcast is it a podcast? like there's always these like different things but then ultimately I think about it as like everything's kind of just a show right and whether you have a podcast or a TV show or The Jump or whatever it's a show and you just have to entertain people so ultimately my job and my goal is to make them more entertaining. Um, specifically at the Ringer, I would say one of like my tasks is to take the amazing audio podcast network that the Ringer's built over the you know over the years, and and interjecting more visual components into it. You know, making some of them that were audio only into video podcasts, the ones that were video into maybe a little bit more. Um, which we can get to in in our in our Fanduel deal, but I hope that was like a weird answer. I'm sorry, like I literally just rambled, but that's kind of where like my head's at is that ultimately, the most entertaining shows will win.
1: You know, uh, certainly a, a good answer, a very interesting. Uh, once we get to a video component, are we just aren't we just talking about TV?
3: Well, but once we do live podcasts, isn't that radio? Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? So it's interesting because I hear things like, oh, my God, like we're going to do this live podcast. i like radio <laughs> or like or like my in, in like in 2016, I had a really amazing opportunity at ESPN to uh, launch my own podcast because everybody has podcasts and it was called No Hablo Español. And, you know, the way I kind of created that was I I noticed that there was some really great talent coming in, Hispanic talent, you know, people who maybe don't speak perfect English. Um, and one day Danny Trejo came in um, and they were like, oh yeah, Danny Trejo's here at LAPC and who wants him, right? And it's like sports centers like, oh yeah, we want him. We'll do a little thing for the, you know, for the 1am Eastern Sports Center. And then Nacion ESPN, which was around the time, was like, oh, we want him. Um, you know, does he speak Spanish? And it was funny because I'm hearing all these different conversations and I'm just like, it's Danny Trejo. Like, isn't there somebody who wants to talk to him more than like a three-minute segment or more than just like a little punchline? So, I literally just pulled him into a studio and sat down and talked to him for like forty-five minutes, mostly because the talent booker just wanted something else for him to do. And and to me, that was like such a cool opportunity because I broke into that world and we were doing video and we were putting it on ESPN platform and you know it went on the audio uh, feed, but. You know ever since then i've been just really like fascinated by just the medium in general and now that you know 20 like what seven years later it it does seem like podcasts and podcasts are here to stay and i think we'll just be seeing more of them on your traditional legacy
1: networks would you consider the manning cast to be a podcast
3: It's a great question yeah it's tricky like i would say no because of the the technic the the technical aspects that go into it, you know what I mean? Like the way it's produced is like I would say it's more like almost like theater, where like it it's a show, it's a live show. You want it to feel like loose and everything like that, but just the the amount of like preparation that goes into that production, it, it, it's kind of hard to say that's a podcast just because it, it's so well done. Obviously, though, people at Omaha, fantastic job.
1: Yeah, but it is that podcast style. They're doing a lot of that now. That's basically every one of these alternate presentations. I mean, Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi, I even mean, that's what that was. That's a podcast style based on their personalities and interaction.
3: Hundred percent. And even for Fubo, we did um, for for No Chill. We did finals watch parties last finals from Gil's basement. We were live on YouTube. We were live on Fubo on Fubo uh, TV. And, you know, it was just the same vibe, right? Like the guys hanging out, T-Mac and Matt Barnes and them uh, watching the game, kind of talking it through Matt Barnes rolling joints, like, you know, it's just stuff like that, which like to me, like, obviously, like you wouldn't see that on ESPN, but I'm fascinated with that type of content because having the privilege of talking to people like a T-Mac or Gilbert Arenas, um, it's just fun, right? And then you start to hear them talk and you're like, oh, this is, I kind of want to listening to this so it, it's tricky because I do think that that like the vibe of it right feels like a podcast right like you know nobody's coming in and telling them like you know here ask this question and you know look this way and da, da, da. so so I understand it it's just it's just tricky because like I remember having a, a a pretty uh passionate conversation with uh one of my former podcast hosts that I was producing at Fubo and when I first took the job, you know, he was like, he's like, why don't we just, like, why are we calling it a show? It's, it's not a show, it's a podcast. I'm like, yeah, but everybody has a podcast. I'm like, not everybody has a show. And that was kind of our beef because he was like, but podcast is like the new wave and da da da. And I'm like, I understand that, but it's just, to me, it just doesn't carry that same weight as like, here's your show. You've talked a lot about, um, you know,
2: how podcasts kind of really differ from the linear format that you started your production career in. Can you kind of explain to me, you know, what's different about producing a digital show on like a FanDuel TV platform versus a linear show on ESPN that airs in the same time slot every day has, you know, one topic, that type of thing?
3: Yeah, no, it's, it's, there's definitely a big difference in just like how the shows are created, right? Like, you know, one of the things that I, enjoy about like run it back is that run it back is a pretty traditional like news and information it's a basketball show right and and you know part of the reason why i kind of took this opportunity was that as a television producer at heart i kind of wanted to just like sharpen my swords again and and, you know be in a control room environment and have you know talking to directors and and live tv is fun like i mean i love producing live tv and even with my podcast like i'm very much in the like let's just do it live and you know go and cause because to me like I I hate how like certain things like die on the vine. Um content is so quick to change, topics change. So I enjoy the the traditional components of like producing a running back. Um but then my other shows for The Ringer, uh, that I'm helping to oversee are your kind of more like straightforward podcast type shows. But the only caveat is is that the the partnership between the Ringer and FanDuel is that for five hours of programming a week, we take our podcasts and turn them into linear shows. So so it's interesting. So I do have conversations with like some of the Ringer producers, because they're like, should I produce like a different show because we're on TV? And my thing is like, no, do your show, do what made your show popular. We can package it for linear TV. We can look to make it more visually entertaining but ultimately it's kind of funny because i think networks kind of want both right like if you're programming kind of put it back to you guys if you were programming a, a, a sports network how would you like to balance out like your traditional news and info versus the podcasts that i think we all probably consume more of
2: yeah the the distribution angle is really interesting to me because you kind of Mentioned how, you know, you're taking Ringer podcasts, putting them on a FanDuel TV. And, you know, obviously FanDuel and, and the Ringer have have a good partnership. How do you kind of decide which shows you want to distribute in a live environment versus what you would want to do in a more traditional
3: recording setting? Good. It, I think it's kind of varies from show to show. I think some of it is based on like, just like the the post production kind of uh needs right like if you're going to create if you're going to do a show that is going to need uh some a lot of post production at the end or even have to like repackage it you know sometimes you'd rather just do it live right because then you can kind of work within the the format that you're presented but you know the one thing that i kind of like about just working with so many different show groups and just different producers is is really trying to tailor the show to what like they want it to be what's going to make them the most entertaining um, you know and also going to serve like the fans that they've already created right and one of the things that's really cool about FanDuel TV is that we're one of the shows we're launching is called through the Ringer which um, was the name of a an old podcast feed that we just brought back and the idea of that show is to showcase various other ringer shows on FanDuel TV. So you'll have, you know, a segment like with David Sampson Mass Man show. We'll have Michael Pina and NBA Ringer show. And the idea is is that we're kind of giving like maybe fans who aren't familiar with the ringer, um, like really strong segments featuring hosts and be like, well, if you want to learn more about WWE you know, go watch, go listen to the Masked Man podcast. So that's been really fun for me because it's it's allowed me to tap in with like various show groups and, and kind of like just be like, hey, like we want to promote you. We want to bring your content to a, a different audience. Um, we might, you know, you may have not had any visual or video component to it, but we'll help you kind of stand up the video side of it. You know, we're trying to figure out the best way to, leverage the remote talent network that the ringer has while also taking advantage of an amazing production facility um thanks to Spotify in the Arts St- district of downtown LA. So it's it's really kind of fun just being able to see what different shows may need, what they want, and and you know, and, and just supporting them. I think that's kind of my biggest thing is that I I came in as like a ringer outsider. Obviously I had a lot of uh familiarity with Bill and with Grantland and and I did a lot of work with them in the past but in my new role I'm kind of came into the ringer as like that as a ringer so I wanted to like just make sure that you know that I'm not changing whatever their paradigm is right for their respective shows
1: you know it's very interesting you know we've talked a lot so far about what can probably be summed up as the podcast aesthetic right? right And uh, that's kind of this loose, kind of chatty, chummy kind of thing that you're now doing at The Ringer, that you're doing at FanDuel. Uh, What I find interesting is that podcast aesthetic is something that ESPN was doing a lot of in its daytime shows for many years, right? Mm -hmm. Highly Questionable had that vibe. High Noon had that vibe. Uh, Sports Nation had that vibe. And of course, The Jump had that vibe. And all of those shows were wiped out uh, in a very short amount of time what is it that you think as someone who was obviously involved in a lot of those shows what is it that seems to almost it it almost seems as if there were people at ESPN who badly wanted those shows off the air and what is it about that aesthetic that did not jibe with say a get up A Max Kellerman show, a Sports Center, kind of the Norby School of ESPN programming.
3: No, it's it's a great question, and I think your your instincts are are pretty accurate as far as the as what it seems right. Like I think part of the the lack of buy-in after the fact kind of came from just the change of Skipper. Like when Skipper was running ESPN. You know, I personally think he's really, really smart and really nice and just like just a a great boss, you know, and and to me, it seemed like him and like going back to like John Walsh and Bill Simmons and Jamie Horowitz, Kevin Wilds, um, people that most people don't know, but that when I started ESPN in 2008, original content was a department within ESPN and they were creating new shows, and they created Sports Nation, and I got to be a PA on Sports Nation with Michelle and Colin, and that really kind of like catapulted my career at ESPN, because at the time, I was living in Bristol. I moved there from Tucson, Arizona. I was a manager of the Arizona basketball team. I hated Bristol. I did not want to stay in Bristol, and then I met Jamie, Kevin. I started working on Sports Nation. It was different. I mean, I was cutting highlights for a year. I was prompting. I was kind of doing all the stuff that you know any PA you know worth their soul would go through at ESPN and and it was a wonderful experience like don't get me wrong like I I wouldn't trade that experience for anything because it's literally why I'm here today, but I just remember like the first time I kind of started to understand what they wanted from Sports Nation I realized like this is actually more the content I wanted to do like I don't want to cut baseball highlights and I don't want to stress out over like a thirty second highlight and a shot sheet and uh, running it in and the uh, and. And I think we had just like a really good run where it was like Sports Nation, Numbers Never Lie, which turned into His and Hers, which was, you know, obviously a a fantastic show, highly questionable. Um, You know, Nacion ESPN was killing it in the Spanish language place. And what people don't realize is that when they pulled the plug on Sports Nation, they actually pulled the plug inadvertently on Nacion ESPN, which would won an Emmy a couple years back. And, And really, I think it boiled down to Bristol versus LA and it it was sad because everybody who moved to LA whether it was a Sports Nation move or the Sports Center move you know a couple years before that it just felt like not only were we on an island but that I think because some of those programs were created by creatives that were no longer at the company People in Bristol didn't feel like maybe they had ownership of those brands. Or, you know, and 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 it's sad because like I never looked at it from an LA to Bristol perspective. I just looked at it as like, hey, like we're here to do our own thing. Just like Levitard was in Miami doing his own thing and the guys were building out New York doing their thing. I saw it as like this is a great thing. But then as the business started to like. Tighten up right and then you have a change in leadership and then you have norby who went to central connecticut university (laughs) who didn't ever go to la it it just felt like it was bristol kind of taking the reins back and you would notice it kind of in like things behind the camera like how are we scheduling our staff for our shows how are we um able to empower people on our staffs to like be promoted and and also I think the biggest the biggest kind of issue for me was as somebody who was a producer in the original content department I think I ended up as the last person in that department because everybody else was gone by the time I was gonna leave so it was it was like night and day it was like 2013 2014 it's like let's get new shows let's launch shows let's stand up new types of programming let's talk about what can we do to make things different and unique and then it all of a sudden just came like let's just go back to sports center you know let's just make everything look the same and then I'm on calls with Norby talking about my bumps and teases need to be better and I'm just like what are you talking about dude like this is not important (laughs) so i think that's really what it was is that with bristol it was there was a level of control that they had in totality for years right like if you want to be at espn you're going to move to connecticut you're going to move to bristol it's in the middle of nowhere not really nice but then once that once they started to lose that control and you started to see i think talent too starting to say, like, oh, I'd rather be in New York, or I'd rather be in L.A., or I'd rather be in Miami. I just think it it became a, a little bit of a, of a culture war, to be honest with you. Like, I, I have no other way of, of explaining it.
1: When did it become obvious that they were kind of coming after the jump?
3: Well, it was, you know, it was interesting because it, it started where, like, I think when, when Woj came to ESPN – that wasn't the start of like issues with the jump but that was like the first thing i had seen of like oh wait we're not all on the same team really because i remember when when woach first started um we were getting ready for our uh was a free agency show and the year before we did this like really awesome free agency show on espn2 and you know and a lot of the the reason why the jump was successful is because we got to like be on e2 at first for 30 hours we we kind of got to be the underdog which was which was great because we got to be like hey look like this isn't the hugest priority, but it's a big deal. We get to be the only um, daytime NBA show on ESPN and, you know, uh, have fun. And, you know, and, and Rachel is an amazing um, person to work with. And and I felt like we were kind of given just like a lot of leeway to like pick our topics, pick our talent, certain things, right? So then, and, and we had such a great like NBA collection of, of, of reporters, and they still do. Like, I'm not here to bash anybody at ESPN right now, but it was just kind of a weird thing because it's like Mark Stein, Chris Haynes, you know, uh, Kevin Pelton, Henry Abbott, Tom Haberstrode, Amin Hal Hassan. These guys helped build the foundation, but then all of a sudden they're gone. And in their place, not the best television person I've ever met so (laughs) so it created some weird kind of dynamics of like us trying to you know trying to like make sure that our journalists like that our reporting was in line with what the network you know was reporting at the time and I just kind of noticed there was just like a little bit of like things taken off of like our plate as far as like who we can book when um, not saying like it was like every day but like certain topics you know we couldn't do if it was like Shams reporting and you know and it just like annoyed me because I just remember before Woj got there like we were like so adamant about like we have to do Woj's reporting on the jump or else the jump would be a not good NBA show because Woj is one of the best NBA reporters he was not ESPN at the time he came on the jump before he was an ESPN employee um, so I thought we had a good thing going, but it just sucks because I don't love the politics. I, I personally love politics, but I did not get into politics on purpose. And that's kind of where it started to get really weird, I should say.
1: So this whole disaster begins when ESPN does two things, so they about well, three things. They force out Michelle Beadle, uh, and Beadle is, I would imagine, part of that L.A. crew that couldn't really be tamed by Bristol. They brought her to get up to tame her. Didn't work out. Uh, so she's gone. What went into them deciding to split it between Bristol and L.A.? Because Mich- yeah, Maria Taylor, she is from Bristol. She is from that Bristol school. Get up, Mike Greenberg, the Norby school. Uh, Rachel Nichols is obviously the jump, the LA school. What went into ESPN deciding to split the NBA duties between those two rather than just choose one or the other? It's a good
3: question. I mean, I, it's hard. It's I, obviously this was not my decision. I had no part in these decisions, and you know, and 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 look, I I think I think some really smart producers and people I've worked with, you know, were tasked with making hard decisions um you know it it was sad how with beetle and countdown like you know even like paul too right like i, I think beetle paul jalen and chauncey right like they had they had a nice thing going on and i think the the biggest kind of like component with the whole countdown situation i think was kind of the get up part of the equation because you know and not speak on their behalf but i, I it seemed like jalen and michelle were really happy um kind of being like west coast primarily and same with max collerman who before he went to first take like he was he was very happy in la you know and him and Marcellus had a a wonderful la drive time radio show that people today still miss you know and but it it, it i think it, part of it is like cont- maintaining some control east coast right so if you if you just gave rachel countdown or the jump countdown, which obviously would have been crazy, because we're already doing a show every day for doing a show for five days a week. So like, I don't think it would have made sense for, for like, even Rachel to have to do all the countdowns. But then I also think the there's a there's a little bit of like maintaining that control of like, okay, cool, if we if we kind of have the the Rachel jump team doing the Saturday night games, um, and then we are doing Fridays and Sundays and all that on the East Coast, then at least there's still like that control element but you know the thing for me producing like the Saturday ABC shows was it wasn't it was a really cool experience but it wasn't a fun experience and that was kind of where I was I started to get really like burnt out by like the ideas like do like it's a 30 minute pregame show and we're having four meetings over the week about it and it's just like Ugh, and then like, just like the gripping of it was just so frustrating. because they're like, oh yeah, it's ABC audience. So we have to make sure it's like only stars and only stars at ABC. Audience. I'm like, dude, it's a basketball audience. It's an NBA audience. Now, if you want to say that, like, Hey, let's make it more entertaining, or you want to make it more creative, or you want to talk about, you know, bringing in talent, like, like all these things are totally fine, but it's just this idea that because it was ABC, it had to be different than what we were doing five days a week on ESPN. And and that type of control and just like micromanaging is Bristol. Like that's a Bristol thing. I'm sorry, it is. And 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 maybe I got away with it for longer than I should have, you know, being in LA, but it was just, it was a difficult time for me to like, even before everything went down, because it was still kind of like, we knew we were auditioning for finals, right? We wanted to be the finals pregame show. We were the pregame to the pregame show the the previous two years. I thought we did a, a really, really good job um doing those shows for the jump. We had an amazing show at Jurassic Park during the finals where we brought Team Mac and Lowry and um Vince back. And and we just had like so much momentum, you know, nominated for Best Studio Show in 2019 um which is an incredible honor we lost to PTI which is my favorite show and then all of a sudden it was just like eh you guys aren't that good show's not that good Bristol doesn't think your show's that good because your bumps bumps are wrong bad bumps like cool (laughs) like cool story Norby um but yeah I mean that's that was kind of it for me is that like it just it and then you know kind of like from my personal vantage point of how things unfolded you know during the 2021 finals I had my third child in May of 2021, and I went on paternity leave, and I decided to take all my paternity leave for the first time because I didn't with my previous two kids. And I told them I'd see them after the playoffs were over, and I never went back, and there was no show to go back to.
1: Yeah. Uh, How frustrating was it, knowing Rachel the way you probably did, and knowing the dynamics of what went on? to watch as Rachel became exhibit A of racism in America while the executives at ESPN, whose record on race and gender and everything is so atrocious, got away with ultimately uh, scot-free. They, they completely got away without any kind of scrutiny. What I imagine that must have been frustrating uh, for you as an observer. Yeah,
3: no, it was it was it was incredibly frustrating. And and that's not to demean Maria's experience at all or or anyone else. I had very good colleagues and friends who felt that Rachel had done done something wrong in in you know, in her words, choice of words. I'm sure Rachel would probably tell you she regrets choice of words as well and, and and but as somebody who's worked with Rachel for 5 years at the time who has thought alongside her to make sure that certain topics are included in the show um we were the first show to talk about the George Floyd murder while we were you know doing shows from our respective houses and I'm producing in a closet and and you know and it's just sad because I felt like we had a platform that you know really wanted to as the best that we could at ESPN you know lean into like equity, fairness, um, in the way we talk about sports and the way we talk about coaches being fired as the way we talk about players and, you know, labels, right? Like, I think we were all very, I think, uh, cognizant of how sports media talks about certain like genders, race, like, you know, just, just the way, like the, the old kind of like, dichotomy of you know oh this you know this guy's a locker room cancer and da 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 right like I think we always wanted to at least be a little bit more fair um, to the players to what they were passionate about and and it was sad because I I think Rachel had done a good job on the jump of being an advocate Um, but it was just such a weird dynamic especially the fact that like you know it was there was like a year in between of like the bubble and then the consequences of the bubble or whatever that is so it it was just really sad because I think for that whole kind of like period between the bubble and that it it kind of like created division between like countdown and the jump or people on the staffs right and and it was just really unfortunate because I thought that Maria was very talented completely on her own trajectory to be what she is which is one of the best female um, people on television period and and I saw a world where everybody could be successful and that's you know unfortunately uh, that did not work out but you know I, I just thought that it was really annoying because to put two female, like, faces against each other that way, is like, I just don't think it would ever happen like that with men. Like, they would never let it be that way. But for whatever reason, between Sage to Beetle to Rachel to Maria, <laughs> it's always some weird type of transition, which I never understood and I really hated because – everybody just wants to go to work and enjoy their work. Everybody just wants to go yes. to work. And like, we're doing sports television. We're talking about the NBA and like, it doesn't need to be Game of Thrones, like mm-hmm. literally. And and I remember listening to the uh, Origins podcast on the creation of PTI and Ryan Holmes, one of my heroes. And just hearing the way he talks about creating a show, creating a family, creating a lasting bond and relationship whether people move on or whatever right to me i always thought that lapc could have been like an amazing place to work and an amazing place to create content and for whatever reason it's just it never we never fully capitalized on that
1: you know you bring up an interesting point there's so many differences between rachel maria Michelle Beadle and Sage Steele, probably four people who you couldn't probably get all of them into, uh, you know, the same room. But I, I find it very interesting. Their experiences at ESPN are so similar. They've all been so treated poorly, treated horribly in a lot of cases. And I think the commonplace is between all four of them is that they are women and that there are no men at espn they're getting treated the same way as these four women did just on the nba show and one of the things that was so badly reported with rachel almost uh, criminally bad reporting was when she said you're not going to take my thing away from me and rachel didn't finally clarify what the context of that was until recently, because obviously it's impossible to know the context of a secretly recorded phone conversation, right? You're not going to typically get the good context there. What she was saying was that Maria Taylor, who was primarily known for college football, was never going to be given college game day because that was Reese Davis's thing. So they took Rachel's thing, but they weren't going to take Reese Davis's thing because ESPN, you know, what What was the joke from 30 Rock? The episode is called TGS Hates Women. Uh, you know that episode of 30 Rock? I don't know <laughs> if I would say ESPN hates women, but there's a lot of evidence to that effect over the years. Uh, and I, I just think that that's one of those things that maybe, uh, maybe deserves a little bit of commentary in that New York Times article.
3: No, I mean, it's, and it's fair too, because Rachel was speaking factually, like, um, it's like, look, we had the, and I say we, because I was going to produce those shows. (laughs) So there was a, there was a vested interest, obviously from Rachel, from myself, from our staff, from the jump staff, we were all really excited about that opportunity. And we felt like we deserved it. And Rachel felt like, I mean, she earned it. She was given it not in, you know, she was selected to be the person who was going to host the finals. And, it just wasn't like, it just wasn't fair how they try to paint it as like she's trying to keep Maria from something mm-hmm. that Maria was supposed to get as well. And and look, NFL draft, college game day, uh, there's some really big priority sports that aren't the NBA. So if if it was about giving her a platform, giving her... The the biggest platform like, is it the NBA? Ratings don't say that. So, so that's kind of where I think it was like a little of like, okay, well, is this just like, is just is this just like you're, gonna go after Rachel because she's like the most vulnerable, in that job, especially with the change of leadership too, because, you know, Connor Shell as well, like. Yeah had left the company and and he was uh just a huge advocate of the jump and of los angeles um production facility and stuff so i just think it was a it was a really weird dynamic and also like it was also weird because you know when we moved to l.a originally in 2011 or i'm sorry 2013 i remember asking like who's gonna come to l.a in like a vice president level And nobody wanted to. And I'm just like, look, somebody has to be here at a level where they can, like, really run this place and really have a seat at the table in Bristol and fight for the content we're producing out here. And I think what they thought is that just run it like a bureau, right? It's just a bureau. Let them go to L.A., but all the power is still in New York and in Bristol, Connecticut. And and I think that component is also like a big driving factor of like why a lot of the communication with talent wasn't great because there really there was no like boss there right there's nobody who can you know bridge whatever divisions there are we're all human like people you know like I, maybe we get along well with one person maybe you don't. But there was nobody there to unify, especially from a talent perspective. And then I think part of it, too, is like if you're talent and you're thinking to yourself like, okay, like, who am I trying to impress? And I think that question changes a lot of – you can see the changes in content. Who are we trying to impress? Are we trying to impress Skipper? Trying to impress Norby? Two different worlds.
1: Yeah, very interesting stuff. Uh, but uh, you have moved on from ESPN, so why don't we move on from ESPN? Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, you spent some time at Fubo TV uh, the last couple of years. You spent you spent the last couple of years at Fubo TV, and uh, you know Fubo is at an interesting spot. It wants to be a big sports outlet, uh, a big sports streaming service, but it does not have the Turner networks, which means starting mm. from March all the way through June, you can't have FUBO and watch the NCAA tournament or the entirety of the NBA playoffs or the entirety of the uh, NHL playoffs. You're going to miss all of those Turner games. What When you were there at FUBO, what was the impact of that? Was there any urgency about, hey, we have to get these Turner networks, or is it more along the lines of, we can live without it?
3: The big thing, and this happened before I got to FUBO, was that they had Turner, and I think they took the Disney package over. not like, I don't know, if, I don't know if they picked it over, but for whatever reason, the Disney package they brought to Fubo and the Turner package went away. And it was obviously something that's like a NBA fan. Like I, we didn't love it. I mean, it, it's, it was It wasn't something that we can control, like just in the Fubo Sports Network or just from a content creation standpoint. And, you know, you would have to like work around it as much as you can. Um, But I think it ultimately boils down to the fact that, you know, it's very expensive. And the cool thing about Fubo and the thing I miss about Fubo is that Fubo had um, like this multi-viewer where I could put like ESPN in one window and Paw Patrol in another window. (laughs) And like I just like lived off that because I have uh, four small children. And, you know, and there's some really cool things that Fubo does technology wise. I mean, I was a big fan of the platform, um, but you know, I I I I needed Turner myself. So, (laughs) you know, so it it is it's a hard component Um, in a perfect world, I'm sure. The amazing people at Fubo, I, I really, really had a good time working with them. Pam Duckworth and David Pagan, who are my direct um, supervisors, um, you know, just really smart, just really good people who are running Fubo, who have built an amazing platform. And my hope is, is that they can get Turner and then um, it, it would, I'm sure, help everything else. But but I just think it's it's difficult because Fubo came in to the market as a sports specific app and even from the name fubo you know football football whatever it you could tell that it it was it created something a little different than i think maybe they had originally went into but i'm very you know like hopeful that you know fubo will continue to you know uh supply like a great platform and that they get you know more subscribers and that they're very successful because I really do enjoy using their like interface, but the Turner thing is is really tough, you know. And and it's probably a good thing because like now that I got TN, CNN back, like I'm kind of glad I didn't have CNN the last two years. But but you know, NBA playoffs is 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 uh is pretty important.
2: Um, obviously, uh, you know, it's pretty good for your brand at the Ringer, I guess, to rake ESPN over the coals a little bit um <laughs> joking aside though um I don't think I've ever seen anyone at the ringer ever in a bad mood or crack a frown or anything of that sort is is working there as fun as it seems from the outside
3: no it, it's a lot of fun I mean I I remember being like the ESPN employee who kind of got to see like Gretlin. like oh these guys are like having so much fun I'm like <laughs> and and I had, a, I had a really good opportunity to work with Bill um I I produced the bad boys um post Show doc uh so after they did the documentary and then we did a live studio show afterwards with Zeke and Doug Collins, Jalen and, and Bill. Um, I produced the BS report um episode with Magic Johnson. So it was kind of cool and worked a little bit on Grandland basketball hour. Um, so it was really nice because I always kind of got to like jump in on like some of the linear um projects that they were doing for Grandland. And it was just so perfect to kind of come back to the ringer now because now that the ringer is delivering linear shows for Fanduel, it's this is kind of like my wheelhouse with them right and and the cool thing about working there is that you realize right away like i'm in a job interview with like juliet whitman and my it's like oh yeah and you got to talk to sean Fennessy next and, and and then chris ryan after that i'm just like it's just so funny because it's like these are my bosses and then i'm like listening the hottest take and they're just like you know making me die laughing but then I'm like oh yeah you're my boss now um but it's a it's a really really fun like environment and I think a lot of what Bill created um is similar to like my ambitions and what they were at ESPN right like we just want to have fun like literally I took this job to have fun like I'm sorry but like it's not heart surgery you know and it's not news like oh my god i'd die if i did like real news like i couldn't you know because i see the way we talk about sports right like i could not like brett farve like some crazy news topic you know it would i would it would be the worst thing in the world but i'm just really happy that there's places like the ringer out there um that are creating their own content and doing it in a way that feels like organic to the people who are creating it I think a lot of times we get into like these corporate environments and we feel like we have to act and be a certain way and that's just not the creative space that I like to work in like that's just not who I am and then I go to the ringer and I'm like the old guy (laughs) which is fantastic because honestly like you know i want to know what younger people are interested in i i personally think that you know my job is to get the best out of the 20 something and 30s the younger 30s I'm, I'm not 40 yet but that's part of like what i look for is empowering the future creatives and i think in at the Ringer, this is a fantastic place to be in because there's so much great talent. There's so many great, like, like behind the camera, in front of the camera, like Kevin O'Connor, Van Lathan, Kevin Clark. Like there are some, uh, a million people, sorry. (laughs) But I'm so excited because I see it as like a new, almost like a new original content department, like the one that I was at at ESPN. 12 years ago
1: it's interesting to bring it back full circle because of course simmons was the original i guess well olbermann was the original uh uh pariah there but certainly simmons had his issues with management and uh, that worked out kind of well you know it's interesting it's uh, time and time again whether it's olbermann or simmons or uh beetle and rachel nichols and basically anybody who's worked at espn and not been a cog in the machine uh has had a very difficult and uh ugly ending there it's it's uh
3: it says a lot and and, and honestly like I I even looked around as like when Lebatar left and mm-hmm. I thought to myself like why are all the people that I vibe with leaving like yeah why you know like is it like should I be leaving and then and honestly like that was like the first time I started thinking about like life beyond ESPN because I just saw that there was so many great people that i i watch as a fan who were leaving the company and it just it didn't feel like it felt weird and and i was like wow like what are we doing here you know and 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 it's so funny too because here's a random story but once upon a time i interviewed to um, work on levitard show um, when they were going to fusion and they were doing a tv show and, and my dumbass uh, showed up to miami wearing a suit and they thought i was fucking norby's like godson (laughs) and they hated me (laughs) because they were like oh who's this espn suit coming in here telling us what to do and And i'm just like why did i wear this suit in miami and i bombed the interview (laughs) and the reason why they said they didn't want me is because i was too espn Mm, too corporate um but i mean they're doing a fantastic job and, and I, and I've always been a fan of theirs, but it's just really funny because like, they looked at me like I was the police.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, it, it just says a lot about the dynamic there. Dan Patrick's another one you could add to that. And Dan, you know, it's not like hey, Dan reinventing the wheel. I mean, he was a traditional sports center anchor, basically anybody who just colors a little bit outside the lines or has a big enough brand.
3: You know what it is? And in- ESPN to me is like a college athletic program. And the way I say that is that if you go to ESPN like five years from now, different people, right? Mm-hmm. Different people at the cool table. Like there's a turnover of talent, which is fine because a lot of people are very successful. There's wonderful people at ESPN right now who are doing great work. But then every so often it kind of turns over, right? So to me, I think ESPN kind of likes that component of being like it's built like a college campus. It's a it's a small town. They don't operate like a professional league would in the sense where like building stars, building brands like, you know, it's very much the name on the front of the jersey, more important than the name on the back of the jersey the barrier to entry for being a sports star was through ESPN. And now that is no longer the case. Yeah. And I think that kind of like realization or lack of realization, I think is what's kind of created a little bit of like a animosity, I guess, between like ESPN and like new media, right. And where things are going, because back in the day, like if, if they showed your highlight in SportsCenter, it's a big deal. Yeah. Now, I mean, you know, like we watch highlights in real time. We were on Twitter, we're on IG, we're on TikTok. So it's a it, it's it's tricky because things changed, you know, not overnight, but they changed so drastically that, you know, they're, we're still figuring out or they're still figuring out what it means to be the worldwide leader in this age.
0: Yeah.
1: All right, great talking with Danny Corrales, and a lot of interesting stuff there. Uh, hope you all enjoyed it. No, it was a little bit on the long side, but uh, I thought it was good to uh, you know to have that conversation, and I I know uh, some really interesting insights about uh, the dynamics there at ESPN uh, that are so obvious, I think, to a lot of people who have followed ESPN over the years. Uh, any thoughts, sir?
2: Yeah, I, I thought, you know, kind of what you'd expect from uh from a former ESPN employee that uh, you know, kind of had more of the LA ties than the Bristol ties. Um it is it is pretty apparent to, to the people that follow this stuff that, that that's kind of the culture there. And um I, I thought he did a really good job explaining the divide between between those um those two locations. And I, I also thought his analogy for bristol kind of being a college athletics department was really really good
0: yeah
1: another uh fun edition of the podcast at least we had fun i hope you had fun listening to it we'll be back again next week uh and uh, we'll be talking nba playoff ratings and more uh but for now don't forget to subscribe to uh the smw podcast feed anywhere you get your podcasts apple podcasts being the most convenient and we'll see you back here next week thank you